Today on Dance Med Spotlight, I talk with Dr. Sammy Harmon, a physical therapist who is currently on the North American tour with Frozen the Musical. We get to talk about what it is like being a PT in that kind of role, what her schedule is like, what her dancers and performer schedules are like. We talk about some of the perhaps more unique things that get encountered working with shows like this versus even typical dancers that we may see or versus the general population. Lots of interesting things that we get to talk about with this unique type of setting and also talking about some of the challenges that we encounter with working with dancers or performing artists as medical providers and working with folks who push their bodies beyond the normal limits like we learn in school. Lots of really great information. Be sure to check this one out. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, I have with me Dr. Sammy Harmon, a physical therapist who has been on tour with Frozen the Musical going through North America. Welcome, Sammy. Yes. Thanks so much for having me, Alyssa. So, Sammy, my first question for everybody on here is tell me a bit about your journey getting to the point knowing that you wanted to work with performers as a healthcare professional. Um, yeah, well, I was actually a dancer, performer, still am, um, for pretty much my entire life. Um, grew up doing pretty much all styles of dance, but with a focus on ballet. Um, I studied ballet in college at the University of Utah and um, danced professionally during and after that point. Um, but I had, from a young age, always been interested in science um, and really considered a lot of different healthcare fields for a while. I thought I wanted to be a surgeon, um, but then it was my experience having low back pain as a dancer um, that led me to seek physical therapy for myself starting at about age 14. Um, and my experience working with a PT really kind of opened my eyes like, wow, this is a really cool career. Um, so I kind of decided to go that route really from an early age. I think even in high school, I had pretty much decided that eventually at some point I wanted to be a physical therapist. And um, the idea of getting to work with dancers and using all of the backgrounds and education and training that I'd been getting since the age of three, really, to apply that with the additional knowledge um, that a physical therapist has to help dancers, you know, stay healthy, recover, recover from injuries, all that. So um, I, yeah, like I said, I danced professionally for a few years, but always with the idea at some point I'm going to go to PT school. So about a year after college, I decided to apply to school and then went to the University of Colorado and graduated with my PT degree in 2017. Um, I did continue dancing through PT school and afterwards, so um, which was really helpful for me in a lot of ways, just to stay connected with the community and also just help balance my life. You know, when school was stressful, it was nice to always have dance to turn to, um, really just to kind of 
feel connected to my former identity as a dancer and also mm -hmm. just physical exercise and just connecting with people that are really important to me um, and still being a part of that community was huge, I think, in helping me get through PT school. Yeah, and it's such an outlet for things. I know I stopped dancing after high school when I was an undergrad, kind mm -hmm. of thinking, you know, that phase of my life is over. Um, and I was still living at home when I was going to undergrad. And I started driving my parents crazy, like leaping down the hallway and pirouetting in the kitchen. And my mom finally was like, can you please go do something? Like take a class. I don't know. Yes, do something. Totally. Um, yeah. So one of my, one of my friends joked that like dancers are terrible at retiring. You know, <laughs> will say that, oh, we're done. This is it. This is my last performance. And then there's just always, I think, that internal drive that really wants you to keep moving and be part of something. So um, it was just mm -hmm. playing a shift in mindset from like, I'm going to be a full-time professional dancer to like, well, I can still dance and I can still even perform and um, be part of like professional works, but it doesn't have to be a full-time thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you've been on tour, uh, the North American tour with Frozen. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what that means for people who aren't familiar with the yeah. PT style. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't familiar with it really either before I started. Um, but yeah, I am with the Frozen North American Tour. So basically, if you've been in any major city and you have like a Broadway tour schedule and you've seen Frozen the musical come through, that's our show. Um, so we tour throughout North America. We're in each city at least two weeks, sometimes longer. We usually have longer sit downs in some major cities, especially around like the holidays. Um, and then just depending on the market and the demand for tickets, we might be in certain cities longer as well. But we're in each city for at least two weeks. Um, we do typically eight shows a week, the same as a Broadway schedule in New York. Um, so that means that all of our performers are all doing eight shows per week because everyone is single casted. That means everyone does the show every time. Of course, there's understudies for everyone. All the principals have two understudies and there's swings that can fill in for ensemble roles and other um, smaller roles. So um, because certainly people are out for injuries, they're out for illnesses um, and they get vacation days as well and sick days as well. So um, it's pretty rare that we actually have a full company in in the show. There's usually at least one or two swings on stage. But um, yeah, it's a very physically demanding show, really, when you think about the volume that they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the addition of, yeah, after two weeks, we all have to pack up everything and move to a new city. Most of the time that's flying. Um, unless the cities are very close together, we'll take a chartered bus. Um, but yeah, then we're in a new city. We usually have a Monday travel day and then we'll typically have Tuesday off to kind of get set up, get groceries, have to start all over with all of that, get settled mm -hmm. in whatever hotel or Airbnb we're staying at um, and then start back with the show on Wednesday. So it's very busy. Um, we don't typically have breaks, um, even holidays we either don't have a day off or if we do have the day off, we'll add another show somewhere else. So mm -hmm. it's pretty much nonstop. Um, 
I would say physically, while the show may not be as intense as, say, like a dance company's performance, just the fact that they're doing it eight times a week is a lot of physical stress. Um, so, and just the fact that they have so many quick changes, like the ensemble is basically never resting the entire show because if they're not on stage, they're running backstage, getting into a different costume, changing their shoes, changing their wigs. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're never resting basically from the moment the curtain goes up. Um, plus the costumes are very heavy. It's frozen. It's supposed to be, you know, cold in wintertime. So they're wearing like wool sweaters and leather pants and the ball gowns are super, super heavy. So um, that can create some issues in and of itself. Just the mm-hmm. weight of the costume. A lot of the performers have told me, like, yeah, if we could just do this in, like, workout clothes, this show would be easy. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty crazy lifestyle. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We get to see a lot of the country, explore new cities. Um, mm-hmm. so it's definitely a unique travel role for a physical therapist, not like a typical travel PT job. But, um, yeah. It's been it's been a really cool adventure and um, definitely a different setting. I'm working in a theater. Um, I usually just have a small dressing room. I have a road box that has my PT table as well as all my equipment that I unload in each city. Um, so everything has to be semi-packable and portable. That means I also have to like deflate my exercise ball every city, reinflate it like over and over again. So mm-hmm. a lot, but um, we we make the best of what we have. So um, and we can get a lot done, really, even just in a small PT room. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, it's those little things too that. I'm sure we all take for granted like the deflating and reinflating the ball all the time every two weeks or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, we just have to make sure it's pumped up, but that's about it. Yeah. Right. And even just like ordering equipment gets kind of tricky because it's like, I don't want to order it at the end of a city because then Amazon of course will send it a day later and then it gets lost somewhere and either have to forward it or we never find it. And I can't order like too much if I get like too many bottles of lotion or whatever, you know, it's like, I don't have room for it. So I have to be yeah. careful about uh, taking inventory of all my supplies and um, just making sure I'm stocked, but also not overflowing because we do have a limited amount of space. Mm-hmm. What sorts of things are you seeing as far as injuries and needs that the performers have that are maybe different than a typical patient that you would see in the clinic? Yeah, it is quite different. Um, Just, of course, again, when I said the volume of shows they're doing, most of the injuries I see are overuse, just repetitive trauma type injuries. So that's the main thing I'm dealing with. Um, the nice thing about this job is we're not going through insurance. I mean, the, the show just pays to have me there to see the performers as well as the crew and the musicians, um, basically for whatever they need. So the nice thing is I can do more maintenance work, um, things that is kind of a big no-no on the insurance side of things. So people can come in and just say, you know, my calves feel tight and I can just do some soft tissue work on their calves. Um, 
or whatever they need. They don't necessarily have to have a specific injury going on in order to come see me, which is nice because a lot of times that could just be very preventative for injury. So before mm-hmm. they end up with an Achilles tendinopathy or spraining their ankle, we can, you know, stay on top of things um, before they get to that point. Um, and a lot of it too is looking at, you know, choreographically or things they're having to do in the show to maybe modify things or just adjust their form again to prevent injuries because, you know, someone kneeling down into like a deep squat, if they're not doing it with great knee alignment, they got some knee valgus or something going on, may not be bothering them right now. But again, three months from now, when they've done the show 130 times, Mm -hmm. um, they may have some knee pain. So if we can kind of look at those um, and our stage managers are great about like, Hey, you know, would you take a look at so-and-so's knee or ankle or what they're doing at this part? Because it looks like a weird position to us. Can you maybe mm-hmm. talk with them about that? So um, they're good about trying to stay on top of things as well um, mm-hmm. and just talking to me um, when they're concerned about someone having maybe a potential injury. Um, and then certainly we do get some acute injuries as well. So I'm there to help screen things, to help determine, you know, do they need to go uh, to the emergency room or do they need to see a physician? Do they need imaging? All that sort of triage that needs to take place. Um, Concussions can certainly happen too. Mm -hmm. So I'm there to screen for concussions and help manage those. Uh, So yeah, it is a little bit of everything. I'm also the only medical staff of any kind um, that travels with the show. So even people that have some other sort of medical issue they'll at least generally tell them like sammy come down or go go up see sammy and just determine you know do they need to go to the hospital do they need x y and c so mm-hmm. um yeah it can be a bit of everything but overall um i'm mostly doing kind of um management of chronic issues or maintenance work Um, helping prevent injuries due to the repetitive nature of their jobs. Um, So it is a lot of manual therapy. That's like probably 90% of what I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, tissue work, joint mobilizations, a lot of dry needling, um, cupping, any kind of modality like that. Um, And then some, most of the exercise I do is corrective exercises to help, you know, manage muscle imbalances, which is big because again, just the repetitive nature of mm-hmm. doing roles that may not be supernatural. Um, like for instance, the people that I see the most are our spends, the reindeer. Um, that is the one role that, it, uh, that and the kids in our cast that is double casted. So we have two because it's just such a physically demanding role that they mm-hmm. alternate. Um, but they're basically on like a little modified crutch on their hand with their feet back on stilts um, with about a 40 pound costume on top of them. So <laughs> you can imagine that it's a ton of strain on their spinal extensors, you know, their necks, their backs and their mm-hmm. shoulders. So um, I see each of them three times a week during basically all of our first act which is just over an hour and we do a ton of dry needling um basically whatever they need um just to help basically maintain so that they can keep doing that job over and over again yeah that's something that i think 
sometimes can be easy to forget about is just the, the costuming, the, you know, do they need a climb on part of the set? Do they need to, you know, what are some of those other things Mm -hmm. that can influence their movement or have them moving abnormally compared to what a normal human moves for? Um, And it's not just dance choreography or something like that, that is causing a problem. Yeah. And I think that was a big, like, big thing for me to consider because typically dance costumes they're pretty light they're pretty stretchy it's not usually a big hindrance or doesn't affect your movement too much because they're designed to complement the movement um some of these costumes i will be honest definitely hinder their movement or make it harder um and i mean certainly a puppet like that is just a lot of weight a lot to manage and sometimes they'll end up with like i don't know why my neck's hurting on this side and turns out maybe Mm. something's a little loose that their head the actual puppet head is moving too much. So they're having to work harder to stabilize. Um, We have a full-time person in our wardrobe department who's just like our puppet master. And she maintains the puppets, um, repairs them. We'll look at things. She's great at problem solving. I honestly think her job is like the most similar to mine because she'll be like, huh, something feels weird in your head. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, this is a little loose. Let's tighten this up. So we have very similar jobs. She's just working on the external puppet and I'm working on the person inside. So um, (laughs) two of us, you know, work hard to keep our spends in shape. Yeah. Sort of two parts of the same body there. (laughs) So what does it look like for you as far as, you know, is it being on site before, during, and after a show? Do you have regular office hours between shows? What, what does that part of your work look like? Yeah. Um, my schedule is pretty much set. I'm there starting two hours before the show and I have 30 minute appointment slots. Um, and then I'm there through the show. So I'll also have a slot during act one, during intermission and during act two. Um, so I basically, we use like just a Google sheet. So they can log in and just sign up for a slot whenever they need one. Um, We basically say it's, you know, limit to signing up to three slots a week just to give people a chance to sign up. But it's usually not an issue that we're running out. Um, Occasionally it does happen where uh, (laughs) I'm just fully booked and there's not a lot available. But um, yeah, so then that gives people a chance to sign up if they're, yeah, feeling some soreness. And then Um, certainly if there's anything emergent, you know, I'll have a performer or a stage manager, you know, just text me and say, Hey, can you come look at this person? I also have a radio if there's, um, an issue going on during the show that they'll radio me to come down to the stage if needed. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just scheduled appointments, um, during the show, like I said, act one, I'm usually seeing one of the spends intermission they can either sign up in advance or just walk in um and act two same thing um that is often when i'm not as busy because most people are on stage during act two or working backstage but um certainly i can see some of the swings if they're not performing that show or um sometimes like our conductor will have a show off or whatever and will come see me um and occasionally i will stay after the show um sometimes maybe just a dry needle like someone might have a really tight calf and they come in for ankle pain and like i'd love to needle this but i don't want to do it right before they're going to go on stage i'll say you know i'll just come back right after the show and we'll just quickly needle your calf Mm -hmm. um so it has the evening to recover 
So pretty much set set hours most of the time. Um, occasionally, a company management will ask me to come in and see maybe a crew member as they're loading into the theater because that is an extremely physically demanding job, loading in all of the sets, costumes, everything that is required for that show. It moves on about yeah. 20 trucks. It's a huge show. So yeah, they're uh, very, very busy. Um, so uh, yeah, occasionally I'll come in for extra things like that. But for the most part, yeah, just to sign up slots before the show, working through the show. And then when the show's over, I'm free to go home. Mm -hmm. That sequencing is also a really important thing to think about when you were talking about, you know, I want to needle this calf, but right mm -hmm. now is not the appropriate time. I think sometimes if people aren't used to working with athletes or performers on, on site like that in the yeah. middle of all the stuff that can be an easy part to forget. Yes. Knowing, mm, this might make them sore. It might be, you know, cupping might leave marks on them, but that area is open from their costume and we don't want to see the giant bruises from it or yes. who knows what can be impacted with treatments that we do on site. Totally. And yeah, because it is right before they're going to be performing. Yeah, it's definitely a different mindset than seeing someone in a clinic, you know, on their day off um, in terms of what you can do and how you treat them. So yeah, I do have to be mindful to not, you know, go too crazy with needles, especially if someone's going to be on stage um, and taping as well. You know, it has to be, I mean, we're lucky in this show because they do have a lot of costumes, most of them are pretty much covered. I don't have to worry about it too much, but there are certain things where their knees or arms are exposed. So I have to use, you know, skin tone tape um, and also just be mindful that I'm not overdoing it so that they can still move the way they need to. So, you know, a typical athletic ankle taping is usually too much for a dancer. They just won't tolerate it because it yeah. limits the range of motion too much. So I might have to modify it or, you know, do a similar taping that you might do with athletic tape, just with KT tape so that they can still move the way that they need to while still getting a little bit of support. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, the other issue with taping is because uh, especially our ensemble members, they have so many costume changes that, mm. and they get so sweaty that a lot of times it just won't stay on. And they'll tell me like, yeah, that tape really felt great for the first five minutes and then it fell off. So um, I do keep, you know, adhesive spray to help, but for some of them that are just really sweaty, it just does not work. So we just have to figure out what else we can do. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how you manage thinking of someone who is like, maybe they're in the middle of performance and something is bugging them and, and they come to see you kind of that difference of getting you through the rest of the show versus actually taking care of the problem um, like we might in the clinic. Yes, totally. Because um, it sometimes, you know, it's during the show that they'll say like, oh, my knee really hurts. And I'll have five minutes to assess before like, I have to go back on stage. So the first thing we really have to determine is, yeah, you got to move quick, but it's, we have to determine can they go back on stage or is, is it safe for them? Um, is it a matter of like, yes, you can go back. It's just going to hurt a little bit or like, no, this is actually dangerous. We need you to stay off stage. So that's the first thing we have to figure out. Um, so just being super quick with things like, you know, doing a quick McMurray's or a Lockman's or whatever, like, do they have an actual 
serious injury going on or is it just something, you know, more muscular or not as concerning? Um, and also considering they may be in full costume, they may not be able to lie down. We might have to modify it just sitting in a chair or whatever because they may not have time to come up to my room. So we have to be super quick and creative in terms of how we assess those things in less than ideal conditions. Also, usually backstage where there's minimal light. So um, I may not be able to see their knee or whatever it is very, very well. Uh, but yeah, determining, okay, are they safe? Yes or no. Um, obviously, making sure that they can weight bear appropriately through that limb. Um, is there, are we already feeling any swelling? Um, those would be obviously things that would take them out of the show right then. Um, and also what's coming up in the show. Do they have a huge dance routine that they have to do for five minutes straight, or are they just going to walk on and sing and then they're able to come back off? So quickly determining those and knowing the show obviously is what really helps with that. Um, and why it's a benefit that they have someone touring who does know the show versus just bringing someone into each city who wouldn't know those things. Um, and then from there, looking at, you know, generally the next thing I'll do is look at the muscles surrounding whatever joint or area is the problem. Um, again, with this population, that's most likely the issue is a muscular mm -hmm. issue, unless it was a more serious injury. Um, so a lot of times I will just, you know, try to maximize the time I have, like, yeah, let's release your gastroc, your quad or whatever, let's mobilize your patella or um, whatever I can do in a quick amount of time to just get mm -hmm. them moving better. I also usually will keep like some K tape with me too, just to help give them some tape really quick um, to get them back on stage. Um, and then it's reminding them that they should actually come back and see me for a full session um, because that's probably not going to take care of the problem. Um, and even if it's something that they're like, oh, it's feeling a lot better than it was. It's like, yeah, but still come see me because um, it may still be something that persists or we don't want it to get worse or come back again. So let's actually fully assess it, mm -hmm. um, figure out what caused it um, and give you an actual treatment and, you know, rehab plan versus just a very quick hold you together. Yeah. And I think something that you said there is an important one, thinking about knowing the show. It's mm -hmm. not just knowing the the costumes and things that they have to deal with, knowing the choreography that they have coming ahead of them, thinking, you know, like for some of my dancers, it's nutcracker season approaching. Mm -hmm. And are they in snow and they have a problem coming up because that's going to be a long time to be on stage to have to work through versus something where they're sort of popping in and off for a while and, and being able to use that as a guide for how we're treating. And yeah, that's definitely a thing too, where it's helpful to have that person who's familiar. Yeah. And that way we can also have conversations with our dance captains or stage managers about like, hey, is it possible that they switch the leg that they're kneeling on during this part um, so that they're not, yeah, again, re-irritating an already injured joint? Um, so things like that can be super helpful just to manage so that we're not necessarily taking them out of the show, but can allow them to continue performing without um, just re-irritating things. Um, 
and yeah, just knowing knowing what they're going through every <laughs> every day is really yeah. important. And I mean, I honestly don't get to watch the show that much because I am working back in my room during it. But yeah, if I have an act off, I'll try and go backstage and watch. Or if they have what we call put in rehearsal where they're putting a new person into the show and they'll do the show, I'll, you know, sometimes just go in the audience to watch that. Um, just to, again, see it from the front, take a look at if I'm seeing anything, you know, just alignment or technique wise, it looks off to me. Um, and yeah, it's just a good reminder of what they're putting their bodies through. Um, cause sometimes, yeah, working with the spends, I'm like, gosh, I'm just doing the same thing every day. I'm like, am I helping them at all? And then I remember like, oh yeah, that's, that's what they're doing. So mm -hmm. the fact that their shoulders are still tight doesn't mean um, I'm not helping, but yeah, they're just constantly putting that stress on their bodies. So um, mm -hmm. just having a good understanding of what that actually look like looks like is super important. Um, and the performers really appreciate it too. And I've had some of them say to me like, wow, it's really nice to know, like you're a performer, like that you know what it's like um because i think that's definitely lacking from a lot of healthcare professionals um working with performing artists that they just don't quite understand and that's often a struggle with some of the physicians that will see our performers especially on the road in some small town in ohio or whatever you know that mm -hmm. they're like yeah you can continue to perform as tolerated and i think they think they're literally just walking on stage and singing and walking off and that's definitely not the case mm -hmm. yeah that's it's so important to understand all the things that come with being a performer the culture, the language, the expectations, the stress and methods of stress release, the yes. schedule, the, you know, there's so many different elements, the opportunity of what you can eat and when. Mm -hmm. um, I was having a conversation with another physio who works with performers and was saying, you know, even knowing when you're done with a show, is there a place where you can go get food if you want it? Yeah. Or do you have to prepare ahead of time to have done some grocery shopping and have something at the hotel that you're staying at? Yeah. And that could be a huge struggle for tour because yeah, some of these cities, like everything's closed at 10 and you know, the mar there might be a pub open, but like, oh, our kitchen closes at 10. So <laughs> you're just out of luck for finding food after a show sometimes, which can be really difficult. Or, you know, the only thing available is like French fries, just like fried food, you know, that can be challenging to have healthy options. So um, luckily, I think the actors are really supportive of, you know, when they have new people coming in, of just kind of helping them manage all of those life things and getting mm -hmm. them used to that and just sharing with them their meals or eating schedules that what's worked for them so they're that community i think is pretty good about that um but yeah it's definitely a lot of extra challenges that you wouldn't really think about mm -hmm. are there any challenges or things that you've noticed for yourself as the pt on tour with them where it's like things of how your body's feeling or things that you're needing to do differently for self-care versus when you were working in a more typical place for PT? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I definitely have some of those same problems of, yeah, getting out of a show and I'm hungry and oh, nothing's open. So um, mm -hmm. it is hard, especially because, you know, my hours are typically around 5.30 to 9.45 p.m. So still that question of when do I eat dinner, you know, so I've kind of had to figure out how to modify my schedule where I eat like a late breakfast and then maybe a like lunch slash dinner and then some sort of snack or meal after the show but um that's always kind of tricky to figure out um and then yeah because i'm just working with a portable you know plinth i don't have a high low table which sometimes is definitely more stressful for me um just that mm -hmm. yeah the table is often not the height that i would like it to do a specific technique um or to work on a certain body uh, so that definitely does place some extra stress on my body. I will feel it in my back. And then of course I am then the only person on the show who does not have access to physical therapy myself. Um, so, I mean, I have dry needled my own forearms just sitting in the clinic because I'm like, mm -hmm. well, there's no one else to do it. So, um, you know, certainly I obviously have the access to my knowledge and the education to know, like what to do for things. Um, but in terms of manual therapy for myself, you know, it's just self-treatment. Um, and I will often just find like a massage, um, on the road. Um, our performers are great at finding massage therapists like, Oh, I found someone really good. Um, and so I will do that too, just for some maintenance for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely comes with its extra challenges. Plus just, you know, having a travel day every two weeks, being on a plane, um, another thing I've encountered is, you know, not all hotels or Airbnbs have the best mattresses and pillows. So that could be an issue for myself and for our performers. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot to manage. Um, but I think just trying to keep a consistent schedule as much as possible helps. Um, I would say another challenge too is just exercise. Like I love doing classes, whether that's dance classes or Pilates class or yoga class and um, just our access to those things varies greatly in each city. Um, so I do try to be somewhat proactive and look up places online before I get to a city, but um, yeah, you know, just transportation of getting there and will they have classes that will match our schedule is all kind of up in the air. So that's mm -hmm. definitely been challenging as well, just to, you know, keep my own health in mind <laughs> with our crazy schedule. Mm -hmm. I know one thing I've encountered too, when I have been able to be backstage in a theater setting like that was sometimes the spaces that we had to set up. And I remember one theater I was in, it was this, tiny dressing room down this awkward set of stairs. I don't even think there was another way to get to it, but these stairs. Mm -hmm. And luckily they had a table that they brought along with them. So I didn't have to haul a table up and down, but it's like, how the heck did you even get this in here in the first yeah. place? Or yeah. some of them are just cramped spaces where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, I can stack things a certain way. And how do I get to stuff? And the spaces to work in are not always ideal. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And that varies again, a lot theater to theater and whatever city we're in. Cause yeah, I've definitely had a couple dressing rooms where 
the door, the table sticks out the door. So I can't shut the door. <laughs> you know, there's just, that's the only way it will even fit. Um, and sometimes I won't have room to, you know, walk all the way around or to stand on one side of the table. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I have to work from there and then I'm having to have them flip over and then turn their head this way, turn back this way when they're flipping from supine to prone. So uh, those things can get tricky or where, you know, in order to have good body mechanics, I would want to be in a nice lunge and leaning over, but there's just not enough room to do that. So that can definitely make things tricky as well. Um, and usually 95% of the time they will move my road box with all my equipment into my room. Sometimes either the road box won't fit or I've had times where there's, yeah, no elevator. Um, so I have had to carry up everything, carry the table up, carry all the weights up, all the bands, all my equipment up into the room. And so when that happens in those cities, it's not the most fun. Um, and then it is kind of also ironic to have the PT room, you know, up a flight of stairs. <laughs> so someone is like, oh, no, I hurt my ankle. Like, you have to get up this flight of stairs now just to see the PT. So, yeah, definitely not always ideal spaces. Um, and, you know, some rooms I'll have like a great space and I'll have room to set up a yoga mat and a little exercise station um and then i've had rooms where the ceilings are so low that some of our taller people can't even reach their arm overhead to you know do an exercise because the ceiling is so low so yeah you just kind of have to learn to roll with it and be really flexible and work with what you have um and know that things are not always going to be ideal but I guess the good thing about that is, you know, it's it's only going to be two or three weeks and then we will mm -hmm. move to a different space. So just have to kind of exhale and work through it and know it's not forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it makes it hard when we do have those really great theaters where everything's super nice and clean and spacious that like, oh, now the next place is not going to be this nice. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about sort of how you've learned to work with the performers? Is it a lot of pulling from your own knowledge as a performer and as a dancer, con ed courses that you found, getting to network with other professionals? Like what, what have been some of your primary sources for even learning how to help these folks like this? Yeah, I mean, definitely pulling from my own knowledge as a performer, as a dancer has been huge. Um, and that just allows me to speak the same language as them in terms of, you know, choreographic steps or things like that. And just knowing all like upstage, downstage, stage right, stage left, those things. Um, knowing the schedule, knowing what a rehearsal means, that sort of thing. I just had the benefit of having all that knowledge and training before I ever became a PT. Um, and then I did shadow some PTs working with dancers a little bit before school. Um, I started shadowing a PT at Colorado Ballet, um, which worked out well because then I did work with them professionally after PT school for a while as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also had a great uh, clinical instructor um, during my second um, clinical education during school. Um, she ran like the dance clinic at the University of Utah. Um, so I learned a lot of specific, you know, dance treatments from her, um, assessments that she used, just taping techniques, um, which was super valuable. Um, and I just got to see a lot of dancers, you know, 
a lot more than I obviously would in any just general clinical education. Um, And certainly, you know, that's not stuff that we're really learning in just a general DPT program. You learn some sports things and some of that applies and a lot of it doesn't. Um, Of course, you know, we learn a little bit about like hypermobility conditions and a lot of that does apply to Mm -hmm. this population. Um, I've also, I've been a member of IADAMS for about six years. Um, I've been to their conference before and um, some of those courses or lectures I attended, um, I still use a lot of the exercises or assessment techniques that they um, presented. Um, And then I also learned going into this role, um, some vocal techniques, um, the vocal massage, uh, which was something that was pretty new to me. which is, you know, basically just massage techniques really focusing on like the suprahyoid muscles, infrahyoid assessing hyoid mobility, um, as well as just jaw release, whether it's dry needling, um, soft tissue, some like active release techniques, that sort of thing. Cause, um, and that's oftentimes um, super tight and they're just not aware of it, but they might not even realize like, you know, I just, my neck feels tight or, I just feel like I'm having to work harder, you know, to sing, or I'm like having difficulty, you know, getting all the way up through my range, blah, 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 blah. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times we'll just get in there like, oh yeah, this is super tight. And they're like, whoa, I had no idea. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, learning more vocal techniques and just learning more about um, being a singer and what that looks like has been newer for me. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've gained a lot of knowledge as far as that goes. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the performers just really appreciate that extra knowledge because that's something that you don't typically get in a PT visit with someone without experience in the performing arts. Mm-hmm. For sure. Going back to something that you said, thinking about um, being able to, you know, pull from your own experience and layer that on top of what you learn in PT school. There's so much that I think the people who don't work with performers or even performers themselves don't necessarily realize how much more we push our bodies mm-hmm. than other folks. Like for example, looking at research, I think there was a study that looked at professional ballet dancers and they looked at plantar flexion, how far the ankle can move downward. Mm-hmm. And the average professional ballet dancer that they measured, it was like 114 degrees of plantar flexion. But you look in any medical textbook and an average is probably around like 45, 50. Mm-hmm. And when I tell some of my dancers that they go, that's all that a regular person is expected to move. So in PT school, we're taught to get people to that normal, Mm -hmm. but our performers need to be able to do so much more than that. And figuring out how to help get them there, how to safely get there Mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah. And I think like hamstring length is another like easy example of that too. Like, you know, you know, learn like, oh, 90 degrees is great for a straight leg raise, but for them, like, that's like, Ah, that's all I can get. I feel so tight. And, you know, Mm -hmm. any just general practitioners can be like, oh, you're fine. You have plenty of flexibility, but that's not what their job demands. Um, You know, that's like telling a pitcher that like 90 degrees of external rotation is fine (laughs) for Mm -hmm. their shoulder. They need a lot more than that to do their job. Um, And I, that was something that would 
I would struggle with a few times just in my um, previous job working in an outpatient orthopedic clinic when, you know, we were using insurance and they would look at, you know, my uh, progress note and say, oh, well, they're fine. They have plenty of range of motion. It's like, but no, she does not have enough equal range of motion to dance on point and be able to perform. So convincing them of that can be a little bit tricky when their averages are normal or maybe even above normal um, because that's just the demands of this job are not normal. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you really have to appreciate that. Um, and how, yeah, but I think the dancers may not realize, yeah, just how <laughs> exceptional that they are. Um, and, you know, they might, you know, sometimes I'll do certain tests and I'm like, wow, I'm so weak. And I'm like, no, but I'm just being really picky to figure out like what can be improved upon because they may be super strong in certain areas, but then, you know, when we're really challenging, you know, their deep hip external rotators um, and making them isolate that, that their form suddenly falls apart and then they just don't realize that that's an area of weakness that they have. And it's like, no, this is good because this is going to help your knee pain or hip pain um, mm -hmm. as long as you just train these consistently. Mm -hmm. um, I do think another big challenge, though, is also like adding exercise just because their schedules are so physically demanding it's with eight shows a week, sometimes extra rehearsals on top of that. And a lot of them do go to the gym or take classes or whatever. But so, yeah, just adding another thing for them to have to do is, you know, not something I try to load up on a ton of. And, you know, we obviously don't want to get them into another kind of overuse by just adding too much exercise. So I think just being really mindful again of what their demands in the show are and really trying to make exercise plans that are pretty concise or, you know, if we have one exercise that can address three deficits, like that's ideal so that they're not having to add just a ton of extra things onto their day. Mm -hmm. um, they very much appreciate that. Or just, you know, having to sell it to them like, yes, I know this is going to take an extra 20 minutes, um, but in order to protect your shoulder or protect your knee or to keep this from being a problem for the next year and a half that you're on this tour, like, you just got to prioritize it. Um, and most of them do, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're, it's their livelihood. They want to get better. They want to stay on stage. So they're usually a pretty compliant group, which is nice for me <laughs> as mm -hmm. a practitioner to have people that actually do what I ask of them. Yeah, for sure. One thing I think also is interesting to think about that a lot of folks might not realize that we don't have a lot of great tests when we're looking at some of our performers when, you know, sometimes you go to a physical therapist office, for example, we'll stay in the track of PT since we're both PTs. And you get an outcome measure, the questionnaire to mm -hmm. fill out and say, mm -hmm. you know, this I can run, I can walk, I can do whatever. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot like that yeah. available for our dancers, even thinking of ways that we test strength. Like okay. I was I was working on a, a case report with one of my dancers, one of my teen competitive dancers earlier this year. And there were a lot of things that she technically was testing as a five out of five on a manual muscle test looking mm -hmm. at strength but she still wasn't able to do things that she needed to do. Mm -hmm. So now I've been looking a lot more into things like hand dynamometry, where we can get a different kind of measurement to start 
assessing some of these things because technically they're maxing out a lot of the things that we may normally go to mm -hmm. as a physical therapist or whatever kind of provider that we are. Totally. Um, and I'll be honest, like in this role, I don't do many outcome measures just because again, mm -hmm. insurance isn't barking down my neck. Like, are they getting better or, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely when I was in the outpatient clinic, like the left, the lower, lower extremity functional scale, like a lot of these people are going to get 78 out of 80 because they can still walk up and downstairs and walk a mile without difficulty and it's maybe just hopping that they circle a little bit of difficulty and they lose one point you know so mm -hmm. it's not yeah it's definitely has a ceiling effect there um so i do tend to rely more on like functional testing of here's this movement they can only do you know five reps before failure or things like that or you know things like you know, the heel raise test for gastroc strength rather than just an MMT because, yeah, they're all going to be five out of five. Yeah. So we need something else that can actually um, demonstrate that. So, um, and yeah, other, you know, more um, standardized tests to like um, the lower extremity scoring system, I think that's. Less, yeah, the, the less. Um, yeah, um, mm -hmm. like those can be good. Um, things that yeah are looking more at function that are a bit more challenging can be really helpful. Um, or even, yeah, just documenting like how qualifying how their movement looks with whatever jump or movement is causing problems for them. Um, mm -hmm. And just, yeah, being really careful about documenting that and using that to track progress can be really helpful because yeah a lot of those standardized tests just aren't super useful for this population mm -hmm. let's go back to talking a little bit about your experience as a dancer and performer before you well even because you still dance mm -hmm. um Tell me about some interactions that you maybe had with healthcare providers, whether they were positive ones or not so positive ones, and sort of how that impacted how, you know, your dance and, and career with it. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, yeah, when I first started having low back pain, like I saw a physician, I saw a chiropractor, um, and I mean, ultimately, they... I didn't necessarily have a negative experience, but it wasn't really getting me anywhere. Um, and it wasn't until I started P started seeing a PT that I was like, oh, I'm actually starting to feel better. And that, you know, ultimately that they gave me an exercise program, which fixed the underlying problem was just that my core was weak. <laughs> it was too weak for what I was doing. You know, I started doing Horton, which is very demanding on your hamstrings and spinal extensors. And I just think I didn't have the core strength to support myself. So that was ultimately what got me back to hundred um, percent. Mm. So that I think was huge. Um, and back then, you know, I wasn't seeing a PT who specialized in dance medicine or had really much experience with it, but um, still what attracted me to the career was just how much time they actually get to spend with their patients that, you know, I would see them for 30 minutes once a week or twice a week or however often it was, but that they actually took the time to get to know me or I could tell that, you know, they would look things up to try to figure out like, okay, this didn't really work last time. So I looked this up. I think this might help you. 
Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciated the amount of interaction with you get. And as a practitioner now, I really appreciate that. Um, but then, yeah, you know, I'd seen like podiatrists for my foot before that have been like, have you considered taking up swimming? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, nope, I want to dance. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm here. Cause I know if I stopped dancing that my foot pain would probably go away, but <laughs> I'm here because I want to keep dancing without foot pain. So yeah. um, that can be a big challenge. And I've even with, yeah, some of our performers and principal roles in the show, I've seen doctors are like, hmm, you might just need to look at doing something else. And it's like, this is their career. This isn't some hobby for them, you know, mm -hmm. it's livelihood. And it just is so frustrating for them. It's frustrating for me when, you know, they're putting this trust in a doctor or a provider who just basically blows them off or mm -hmm. doesn't take them seriously or, yeah, just tells them to get a new job. <laughs> yeah, I had one yeah. patient who was just like, what, are you just going to stop being a surgeon because, like, your hand is sore? Like, you know, that's just, that's not an option. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of performers, you know, both that I've worked with as patients and as friends um, that have had experiences like that. Um, and, you know, I guess my initial response is just, yeah, get a get another opinion. You know, you don't need to work with someone who isn't willing to listen to you. Mm -hmm. um, if you're able to find a dance medicine specialist, that's probably ideal, but at least just, you know, look for someone else who's willing to hear you, um, do the research that they need to do to understand what's going on. Um, Cause yeah, it can be super, super frustrating when someone just doesn't get it, doesn't get what you're putting your body through, what your goals are. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate when people have too many of those types of experiences and not enough of the positive experiences with providers, because then that is, that's when the performers way often turn to, I'm just not going to go see anybody about yes. this or, yes. you know, it, it sets up a, a bad pattern. Yeah. Um, or I mean, just people too that come in and they're like, just automatically don't trust me, you know, as a healthcare mm -hmm. provider, because they have had such negative experiences or just come in with the expectation that mm, this probably isn't going to help. This isn't going to do anything for me, which we know from research, you know, coming in with um, the expectation of success or not um, has a big effect on your outcomes um, and if Most you definitely. do get better or not. So um, that can be challenging. Um, but yeah, I just think really taking the time to, yeah, get to know your patient, get to uh, get an idea of what their goals are, um, and just building that trust and rapport goes so far. Mm -hmm. At this point, I think this is a good chance to introduce a special segment that I always have on every episode. So this is the final bow. Basically, what is your take-home message for the audience? We've had a chance to talk about a lot of different things through our time together. So what do you hope is like the one nugget that they take away? Yeah, um, I think, you know, as a provider or anyone who's working with a dancer, maybe even as a teacher too, just an understanding what your performer is going through. Again, not just in terms of, their physical injury, but 
how that affects them mentally in terms of their identity, you know, their livelihood, is that limiting their ability to work? Um, and the stress that goes along with having an injury, that's stressful for anyone, anyone mm -hmm. that has, you know, a sprained ankle or a sore neck or whatever. Um, it's stressful. It's not fun. But when your job demands so much of you physically um, and that injury really has such a limiting effect on your ability to perform your job, the amount of stress that that puts on you is really hard to quantify or describe. Um, and especially mm -hmm. in an industry like performing arts, which is so competitive, um, it's very easy to get in the mindset of like, well, I'm going to lose my job. That's it. Um, so just understanding um, those layers that are on top of just the physical part of the injury um, is really important as a provider to keep in mind. Um, and just knowing, yeah, again, the schedule that like, especially for these Broadway performers that they're doing eight shows a week, every single week without breaks. Um, it's really hard to understand. Cause I've even seen some like dancer friends who've seen the show and says like, choreography doesn't seem so hard like do they really need PT like twice a week and I'm like yeah but think about doing that six days a week you know eight shows we only get one day off per week so um it's a lot so I think just really being mindful of the performers and what they're going through mentally and physically is super important so even if you don't know you know the technical aspects of dance or singing or whatever it is um, just being able to relate to them on that level um, and considering the demands on them goes a, such a long way. And again, building rapport, building trust um, and helping build a rehab plan or plan to get them better. Mm -hmm. Last thing, your opportunity for any shameless plugs. So whether that's something that you have going on yourself, promoting the show that you're working with, whatever you want to promo, this is your opportunity. Oof. Um, I do have my own LLC back in Colorado. It's not really active right now since I'm on the road, but it's called the Dancing Doctor LLC. Um, and that's something that I'll probably get back to whenever I am done performing. Um, but I do have a website for that. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, Sammy J. Harmon. It's S-A-M-M-I-J-H-A-R-M-O-N. Um, and I just post lots of fun travel photos, basically, of all the places that the show is going to. Occasionally, a few behind-the-scenes snippets as well. So if you're um, really into musical theater or Disney, Frozen, then um, you can definitely follow me there. Yeah, I've definitely been having fun checking out all of the pictures that you share yes. on there. So go check it out. Yeah. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for your time today. It was great having a chance to chat with you and learn more about what it is you've been doing on tour with Frozen. Yeah, thank you, Alyssa. It's great to talk to you. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Met Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.